Lucky you. 36 you pistols and golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about Sandy. golf. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> so, Billy, it's been a while since we talked about uh, Three West. I think it's natural to go from the Three West Green to the Fourth West Tee and talk about this uh, beautiful hole called Soundview by Tillinghast, right? Absolutely. There used to be a lot more trees there. But if you look at that shot, it's it's sort of a, a slight dog leg left, but it doesn't really play like a dog leg. It's just more like you want to keep your tee shot out to the right towards that bunker out there. It's always a long, hard second shot into that green. No good it's, in those bunkers, right? No good in those bunkers. And, and as you mentioned in the uh, Three West episode, way over on the right, there's out of bounds, which occasionally comes into play for long hitters who make the mistake of cutting it over there. I don't think no matter what I did, I could reach the out of bounds over there, but I, I've seen people over there, places you can go OB. It's about 4.15 from the 4. white. 4.15 from the white, and uh, 4.38 from the black, and 4.61 all the way back. I don't see anybody. I mean, once in a while, I've seen these, you know, the big hitters can carry that bunker, but most, most average players do not carry that bunker. And you can knock it into that bunker, which is, it's not horrible, but it's not where you want to be. And if you're up by the lip, you've got to hit a wedge. But if you're in the middle or the back, then you can hit something flatter, maybe get it down in front. We'll talk about the front of the green later. And oftentimes people pull it a little left of that bunker, which is not jail, but again, not a good angle. Hey, Billy, it's really great. Uh, we have here a resident expert of Four uh, West, our great friend Damon Wright. Uh, hi, Billy. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you guys today. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it would look like. Um, I actually uh, played two holes on uh, on Christmas Day uh, in about 15 degree weather, just to uh, just to make sure that you know we we're still playing year round. Yeah. Well, this is coming. This is the springtime. I would imagine this is like uh, sometime in April when those trees just start to bloom, right? i tell you what, I can't wait for that time. That's probably the best feeling in the world. It's opening day. Tell me about opening day and, and what your thoughts are on Wingfoot in general before we drill into Four West. Oh, man. it's. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I would always get so excited for opening day in baseball. There was nothing like it where you'd be with your teammates, you'd be out there, you'd be having a good time, you'd have a hot dog, um, and it was the start of, of a new season. It was the start of something special. And I tell you what, um, I had that same feeling this year um, where we had a group of our, our, our closest friends um, playing golf together, having dinner together, just being out um, at a historic place like Wingfoot. There's really no other feeling like that. And I didn't think I was going to experience at my age now, the same feeling I had when I was nine years old, just to be out there and 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 totally uh, exuberant uh, with with a, with a place like like uh, Wingfoot in April. So um, there's really nothing like it. The, the the feel. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I know I'm probably the luckiest uh, person in the world. I, I got married and had two very good friends, uh, both Bob, you, Bob, and Billy. Um, you know, uh, letting me know about an unbelievable property, where we are located and where our house looks out to um, and how this whole kind of sets up. You can really uh, do nice little loops and play a lot of different golf um, holes where you can play uh, both the East and the West. I think Winkfoot is such a special place 
um, the respect and 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 how we feel about it every time we fit, we play there, we always feel like we're renting it and we're stewards for the next generation. So the thing that that's interesting to me about four, and it is my favorite hole now, and and the reason why it's my favorite hole is, you just got really beat up after one, two, and three. And when I got to four, I thought for the first time, oh, I have a little break. You know, this isn't going to be the hardest hole uh, on the course. And and what I realized, the more I play it, that's just not the case. I have a long iron into a green where, just like every other hole at Wingfoot, if you're behind the hole, you're in some serious trouble. And especially on this hole, just like three, if you're behind the hole, you could be OB um, and in somebody's backyard. So the more I played it, the more I realized, be precise with that second shot. But it's not exactly a quote-unquote uh, break or a reprieve from the first three holes. It kind of presents itself as a little bit of a break from the first three holes. Yeah, yeah. But the more you play it, the more you realize that it can it can jump up and, and, and bite you as well. So I, I there's nothing bad I could ever say about Wingfoot. I think it's the greatest 36 holes in all of golf and all of the world. However, um, as much as I do love the screen, I do think that the Beerits would be really, really cool because it would add an element even more so to this hole that uh, would stick out completely in your mind. Man, that's a tough question. Um, 15 West, 15 West. And I, I know that's probably uh, a very popular um, hole, but there's so many elements, just like I was speaking about before, that require you to think, um, you know, what are you going to hit off the tee? Are you going to hit a three wood? Are you going to hit a driving iron? Are you going to hit a driver? The terrain is so difficult. You know, it, it messes with your visual, just like, you know, the, the, the bunker on the right that Tillinghast wants you to see, which I've been in many a time, or just, you know, you have to go down to go up and, and how your body has to get through that, that shot. Um, the fun starts on the green there. I remember Brandel Chambly and, and some of the guys um, during the 2020 Open talking about the clubhouse and how it was almost brooding and and difficult and and it was like Gotham City um, and that's kind of what I think about Wingfoot it's it's right there in front of you and it's going to beat you up but if you're tough and and you are able to keep your wits about you you know you have a chance so thank you so much for having me on the uh, the podcast uh, I couldn't be more excited to be here and and uh, and talk about Wingfoot which is my favorite place in the world. If you're Bryson DeChambeau, I remember in the 2020 Open, in the left rough, about 140 from the green, wasn't very thick rough, and he took a little wedge like we would often do and hit a pitch and run shot. He hit it 40 yards short of the green and it rolled up right onto that first level where the pin was, hit a two or three breaker left to right, and he made the putt. I think he might have won the Open there. Bryson sent a message early. In that, in that open that the rough was not going to deter him from swinging for the seats. That bomb and gouge, was he saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he so, did, and he did it great. Well, you know, got my hat's off to him. He played, he played great. I wish he stayed on the PGA tour, but yeah, that's another subject altogether. Talking to your tee shot, what you're seeing more of the hole here and those uh, bonkers that guard the fairway, right? Right. Yep. And you can start to see the beginning of what I wouldn't really call it a false front, but it's a sloping back to front on the green. I, it's not like a typical false front where, you you know, if you don't get up high enough, you're going to roll all the way back down the fairway. But it is yeah. a slope that you have to contend with. And sure. and, and ironically, it, it's very quick from the front of that green up that slope. And it turns hard right to left and it's really, really tough to judge a putt from down below. 
because you have to hit it hard enough to get it up the slope. But once it gets up, it takes off. And this shot does a good job of showing you the closely mown area in front of the green, the different color green on the green. But it's all puttable there, I'd say. All puttable, beginning. yeah. This is 30 yards short of the green where you start seeing the fairway. You'd easily putt from there. And, you know, originally there was a swale in the middle of this green. I don't think it was technically a Bayeritz, but um, Bayeritz greens are, you know, uh, they were named after Bayeritz Golf Club in France, which was, I think, opened in like 1888. There you can see the slope in that black and white. <clears throat> That's been removed over the years. Um, I don't think it was technically a Bayeritz, but I don't know, really know the technical definition of a Bayeritz, but it was a, it would be an interesting aspect today if you know with green speeds what they are to have that that swale in there we'll show a picture of bobby jones putting from the back of the green to the front but if you look at this picture the definition is good enough over there left of the pin that's a pretty deep slope oh yes definitely a, a deep slope they definitely. say it's, they say it's diagonal i guess there's a little diagonal from right to left as it goes across and they compare it to the back of nine east a little bit. You know, even today, if you go out there, you can see where it was. If you look at that green, you know, if you stand there over on the left side, you can see where the swale was. And it was sort of a natural contour. I don't know that it was built in there, if, it, if that's the way Tilling has found it or exaggerated it. But, but it, would, it would be interesting to see how it plays today. Again, with sp green speeds of 10, 11, 12 on those greens. Just imagine a back to front, uh, a front to back putt. You know, you're in the front of the green like you often are, and you have to get it up the original hill in the front, down the swale, back up the other side to to a back pin. Yeah, this picture it would here bring smiles to your face if you did it well. <laughs> yeah, well, the the two competitors here, uh, Jones is on the left putting. He's actually in the swale putting up over the hill to sort of, if you're in the fairway to the front left pin location. He's not even in the back of the green where he'd have to go from the back of the green down the swale, up the swale, right. over. And yeah. again, maybe off the front of the green from the back. You know, if you judge the speed wrong coming from back to front, you get through the swale up the other side, you got to leave it there because a little too far, you're back down in the fairway. And the clothes, could you play golf dressed like that today? I mean, the pants obviously wouldn't make that much difference. I think they're sort of gravitating back to that with these skinny pants that, you know, around the ankles. <clears throat> but the shirts, long That would shirts. give me trouble. The shirts would give me more trouble than the pants because yeah. they come right down to your grip. Yeah, the pants wouldn't affect your game. They just affect, you know, whether you would be embarrassed to wear them or not. But the, but the shirts and buttoned all the way up, oftentimes people wore ties while they were playing they wore their jackets and ties everywhere and hats <laughs> different world it's a different world you see a lot of that kind of attire in some of the old movies and the, the character actors you know yeah. i know you love movies like i do and the, <clears throat> so I, I, many of those character actors all dressed up in their gangster clothes or their fedoras or whatever else they were wearing or uncle back. billy uncle billy and it's a wonderful life like brothers wedding afterwards had the party at, at bailey's house and uh uncle billy comes out and he's like where's my hat yeah he says it's right there he says which one yeah. i think capper actually it's a wonderful life i i saw the credits he produced and directed that which is not often seen right right 
Well, Orson Welles did that in uh, Citizen Kane and made a big splash with that. But yes, not that often. There may have been a, a couple of John Houston's. But Capra obviously knew what he was doing. He, you know, he was the uh, early days uh, Steven Spielberg as far as twisting your emotions around. He could get you, he could get into your emotions. Orson Welles starred in it, directed it. Uh, and and <clears throat> Orson Welles did something in that movie that I've never seen before or since, which he gave Greg Toland, who was the cinematographer on that movie, a, a wonderful cinematographer over the years. Um, <clears throat> he gave him the same screen credit as his own directing credit. And you never see that. The, the, in the credits, the director has his own directed by. It's the only thing up there. Right. But he shared that... that, that uh, screenshot with um greg toland there's always arguments about did herman mankiewicz really write the whole script because orson welles takes credits with mankiewicz and but the least important thing of that movie is the uh is the script important than the amazing innovations that greg toland used uh in shooting that movie uh as as leonard malton said in a review he broke all the rules and invented some new ones best years of our lives with frederick march and dana andrews that was greg toland also and it's it's not as innovative as far as you know it doesn't catch your eye as much but that's what's so that's what's so good about it the shots are they're perfect and they're you know the rack focus and the uh the depth of field and things like that that he was so good at that make it pleasing to the eye much like Tillinghast made golf courses pleasing to the eye, you don't realize that's what the enjoyment is because it's it doesn't hit you over the head with it. Looking at this picture, I think the cameraman had to be on a ladder, just like Hitchcock would be in, uh, geez, so many of his movies where he was shooting down. Yeah, he was looking uh, at right in dialogue. They said that murder. Hitchcock actually looked through the camera before he took any shot. The cameraman would get the shot, and then Hitchcock would look through it before. To approve it, not just you know leave them to their own devices. <clears throat> well, in Rope, one of Hitchcock's movies, I think there's only maybe two or three cuts in the whole movie. He tried something, and back then they had to change the reels every 20 minutes or something like that. So when they were coming to the end of a reel, one of the actors would cross in front of the camera. They'd switch the stay there. They switch the switch the reel, and then he'd continue to move as they rolled again. So they black out the shot. They black, black out, out the, the shot. shot. Yeah, just but there's shot I think from... only two, two, maybe three cuts in that movie in that entire movie. Yeah, and, and it was a an apartment where living room was the dining room, and then behind that was the kitchen. Right off to the left was the door, but the same shot kind of came from that location. Well, in that door, the swinging door, that you know, there's one sh shot where he goes in the door, the door swings open, you see him open the drawer with the rope. Yep. And then it swings closed, it swings back open, and you see him drop it in the drawer. So, you know, he used that door as a uh, as a gimmick. Hitchcock was it was a, probably an interesting character. I don't know about much about his real life because I'm much more interested in the in the works that he does. I heard him in an interview once say that when he was five or six years old on his birthday. His father gave him a note and told him to bring it around the corner, and give it to the uh, sergeant constable at the uh, local police station. So he did. And the, and the sergeant came out from behind his desk, took Hitchcock as a kid and locked him up in a jail cell for five minutes 
and then let him out. And his father said to Hitchcock afterwards, that's to teach you to never trust anybody. <laughs> so you imagine hearing that treatment at five years old kind of might explain some of his, you know, takes Paranoia. on uh, yeah. Paranoia. Maybe because he was so odd, he created such great works. Unbelievable works, yeah. You know, again, your favorite, I have 10 of favorite Hitchcock movies, so. But didn't One they give him a hard time with the shower scene and uh, and even Psycho. in the movie, in Psycho, and even in the movie that showed the making of Hitchcock and it focused on that movie uh, and that scene and so forth. The way that was filmed, you wouldn't change a thing about it in 2022. No. Psycho was black and white and the, and the cuts were cheat, 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 as the knife was going. And yeah, no. And it ends up with Janet Lee on the bathroom floor and the camera is like tight on her eye. And then it zooms out and shows you the, the whole room. It's, it comes back out into the whole motel room and back to normal, sort of. What other Hitchcock films come to your mind? North by Northwest, I, I, I always think is the best because uh, it's a really good story. There were four Hitchcock movies that went missing for a while that, that came back. There was Rear Window, Vertigo, The Trouble with Harry. The Trouble with Harry is great. It's it's a, oh. not not spoken about that much. I think it was Shirley MacLaine's first movie. Oh, the color's magnificent in that movie. The the foliage. And I, I I think it's in Vermont. And it's a guy dead in the woods that everybody keeps burying and unburying. It's you know it's very humorous <laughs> and uh, Hitchcocky and Gwen, Gwen John Forsythe. Um, Shirley MacLaine. Oh yeah, great actors, headliners, and all three of them were headliners. John. Yep. Gwen was what Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street headliner. Yeah, he was Santa. Yeah, Chris Kringle, John Payne was the lawyer in that movie. It was, it was Natalie, Natalie Wood early on? Yeah, the um, the North by Northwest to me, the reason I like a Spielberg and I like that movie particulars, I like to go to a movie and be taken somewhere. And yeah, if you don't think you're taken somewhere in North by Northwest, you've slept the whole movie. Yeah, and he's back on the move, back on the move, and he's out there getting bombed by a crop duster and then he's climbing mount rushmore he's yeah they're all yeah. over the place yeah that one and and then obviously spielberg you know when you're watching jaws or you any of the movies he has you're you're often on the move rope is not on the move it's in one room but hitchcock yeah the camera's has... on the move in that movie but the whole yeah. place takes the whole movie takes place in a parlor basically right even rear window it's people coming and going or you yeah see across view James bond James Bond, classic. On the move, right? On the move. Especially the newer ones. Are, 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 there's so many, so much movement, sometimes you can't keep up. Favorite James Bond character? Sean Connery. Uh, I like Thunderball a lot. I like Goldfinger, too, because it was the first one I ever saw. And we, I had to sneak to it. I was in seventh grade. My brother held that over my head for a while because one of his friends saw us going in. <laughs> So every now and then, if he, if he was mad at me at the dinner table, he'd start going, Goldfinger. So I'd have to kind of shut up. You weren't old enough to go see it. Was it our movie? Yeah, well, I guess back then it wasn't. It did not pass the legion of decency. <laughs> and I was in a Catholic school, and every Wednesday they had religious ed. So the, the, uh, the kids in the school went ice skating. You get on a bus and go ice skating. And me and my buddy Joe... We're supposed to get on the bus and go ice skating, but we instead went up to the movie theater and got in to see Goldfinger. You know, there's so many classic movies. Um, what what made them so good was their they were escapism. 
they, they didn't focus on uh, you know many messages so to speak it was more on you know the screwball comedies for instance are always great to watch they're just whack, wacky things and there was a stable of character actors that was enormous Alicia Cook Edward Brophy all these different character actors that would show up and you felt like you got to know them they don't they don't so much exist anymore like that um everybody's handsome I, I, as i've said before they don't look like edward g robinson anymore they look like george clooney and brad pitt and <clears throat> the acting has taken sort of a back seat to the actor you're absolutely right that's the reason i watch rear window is the few early scenes with Thelma Ritter. Ever give her a chance to be a star, a leading role? She was always right there as the same kind of character. She made the most of her five minutes, if it was five minutes in the entire uh, 100 minutes of a Absolutely. movie, right? But look well, at Eve Arden. Oh. Eve Arden was a great character. I, I always felt like Eve Arden was the, was the one you wanted to be on your side in the movie. She was, she was never the leading character, but, you know, in any kind of situation where there you know there was a, there's always conflict in the movie you wanted Eve Arden on your side she was in uh, Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford uh a wise guy too she she was great wisecracks somebody in, made a comment in one of her movies about how how great men were and she's she just says the little dears Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby was it White Christmas I don't know if it was that one or Holiday Inn where they go to the inn and the woman was the uh receptionist she was the housekeeper. Yeah, she was the general's aide de camp. Holiday Inn was a uh, uh, White Christmas was a remake of Holiday Inn. Uh, Crosby and Fred Astaire were in uh, in Holiday Inn. And Danny and Dan Kay. Danny Kay. And and Bing Crosby. And Bing were. Crosby again in White Christmas. Yeah, Bing Crosby. And, was and White the Christmas was, I think, the number one selling uh, single back in the day of where they had forty five records forever forever white christmas was in color and holiday inn was not yeah. um holiday inn had great songs and the concept of the holiday inn was is still kind of interesting it was an inn that celebrated every holiday but brings it back of, to wingfoot we had bing crosby played a lot of golf at wingfoot and bob hope member guest or the big events like the member member where we'd have 250 lunkheads at a dinner right and yeah. after their steak, you want to have somebody come up and be funny. Not too long, but funny. So I, I always ask Billy O'Keefe, hey, Billy, Billy, can, you know, Billy, can we get your brother Ray? Can we get your brother Ray? Come here. You know, he says, what do you want Ray for? I said, well, talk about, you know, you know, got to be entertaining and funny. He says, Ray, heck with Ray. I'm the funny one. <laughs> and he and is. He's South got such a, such a dry sense of humor. It's, it's hilarious. Well, parting thoughts on Four West, other than uh, it's not a it's not a gentle stroll down a four hundred and fifteen yard par, uh, my, par my four. Parting thoughts would be the same as my brother Neil's parting thoughts. Put the swale back in. I'd love to see them do that. I think they thought it would be too jolting uh, a change, and you know they did such a great job, and so they fixed so many things that you know I think they didn't want to push the envelope. But it's yeah. years later now, so I'd love to see them revisit that. You know, I think there are a lot of great greens at Wingfoot, but if you just had one where you brought three of your buddies and got on that green, maybe with a Coca-Cola in your hand and you putted 18 holes for a match, you could easily find 18 challenging, even 10 footers. Yeah, on the oh, screen, gosh, yes. Yeah. Right? Oh, right? yeah. No question. 
Yeah. And you, you rarely see it in the back right, but you know, that's an interesting place. You see it sometimes in the back left, very often in the uh on the left side of the at the top of the swale at the top of the rise. Back right's interesting and, and you often see it in over by the right bunker also. Mostly 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 middle pin placements. Where do you think the tough pin placement is here on four? Uh, see, I guess that depends on where I'm putting from. That, that's that's what's so great about this green. Back left is tough because it's tough to get it back there. I would say back left is the one. I, I know the other pins so much better. That's that's a tough one. It's a little like four east back left. It's hard to get to. I like that. So we'll end it with that. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to the Two show Ritter. and hit Claude the bell Harman. icon so you get notified Movie classics. new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard job. and hit them off. That's 36 holes.